Mark 9:38 verse 42 I read. John said to him, "Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us." But Jesus said, "Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterwards to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I said to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it will be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he was thrown into the sea. Now in April, earlier this year in April, Eileen Macken uh, had the most wonderful experience of her 81-year-old life. Uh, she met a 104-year-old man for the first time. So the 81-year-old met her mom for the first time, who's 104. She had been searching, she had been left in an orphanage in Dublin, and she had been searching for her mom, actually, since she was 19 years old. And in April, a genealogist, right, those guys who dress people, called her to say that he had finally tracked down a man to Scotland. She says, I went over there to see her, and she's the most beautiful lady. Lovely family. They gave me a great welcome. We came in, and honestly, she says, I haven't gotten over the acceptance that I got. They accepted me. When the media, RT News, when the media asked why she had kept looking for a man, she said, I felt, how can I be the only person on the planet with nobody? I had to go and search. I had to look for her. Stories like that, are, they, 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 they encourage us, isn't it? They warm our hearts. Uh, because they remind us that there is that inner impulse in all of us, right? We all desire to be loved and accepted and welcomed by others, especially people in our human families. And yet the reality is that all of us, uh, as we think about that, have uh, been in situations where we haven't experienced always what Eileen has experienced. We've all been in situations where we have not been welcomed by people. We expect people to embrace us, but they don't always embrace us. They don't always care for us as they should. We expect husbands to love their wives, but husbands don't always do that. Wives don't always love their husbands as they should. Uh, fathers are meant to care for their children, and yet fathers are often missing in their homes, aren't they? Uh, many of the problems we face as a society is actually as a result of a vacuum of fathers uh, in the home. They just expect the woman to carry the burden of raising children. We expect people in our city, the city we live in, to respect us as fellow citizens. But every day, people are being knifed on our streets. They are, they are, they are being killed by fellow citizens. People who should embrace them, and yet they are killing them. 
A tragic murder that happened in, in Sidcup, I think, recently was involved, or somebody who was badly injured, involved um, somebody who's 70-year-old and had lived in the area and just being knifed uh, where they live. There are many other examples which illustrate for us that we live in a world where we are not embraced and loved as we would like. We are not embraced and loved by those people we expect to embrace and love us. It is a dog-eat-dog world, world where each of us live only for ourselves. And that should not surprise us as believers, isn't it? As believers, we should know that, that, that the truth is that God never created us to find lasting embrace, love, and care from other human beings. He did place us in a community where we would get that, but he never saw us looking to other human beings for lasting fulfillment or lasting care, right? Because human beings are finite beings, and God has placed eternity in our hearts. We need something more than other human beings. We need God himself. We were created out to be loved and welcomed by him. And then, fueled, if you like, by that divine embrace, we are were, we were then to be helped ourselves to welcome other people in our lives. As we feel secure about God loving us, we have a new capacity now to embrace others. That's what's God's plan, right? But of course, you know that the plan if you like, human beings rebelled against God in the Garden of Eden. Our sermons always take us back to Genesis because if we don't understand what happened at the beginning, we can understand what we are looking at even here this evening. We rejected God's embrace in Eden. If you like, all of us are now estranged from God now, and as a result, we are estranged from one another. There is a sense in which, in fact, it's a fundamental sense that all of us long to be welcomed. We long to be truly loved. We long to be truly embraced by God himself and then being embraced by people around us. But we can't get God, as I was saying this morning, to do what we want. Even though we long for it, we can't have it. It's not all right. We need God to intervene, to make the first move. And the good news of the Bible is that God has made that first move. God is already building a welcoming community, if you like, in Jesus. He has come to welcome us and to place us in a welcoming family, uh, the church. And my task this evening is to remind you that if you are already a follower of Jesus, you are already welcomed in Christ. That's the great news. And you effectively you have what the world longs for. You have what the world wants. And... Uh, that being welcomed by God, of course, brings new responsibility and a new drive, if you like, fueled by that divine embrace. Because now that God has welcomed you in Christ, well, you are so loved and embraced by Jesus. He wants you now to live a life that welcomes everyone who's truly in Christ as a brother and sister. Regardless of income or race or age or background, you are to welcome them, to embrace them to love them as your very own. And, and to help us just understand this truth, um, look at that passage I just read for us there in Mark chapter 9, verse 38 to verse 42. There are just three truths really I just want us to see from this passage. Because the first truth we learn in this passage is that following Jesus, the very definition of being a follower of Jesus, means welcoming everyone in Christ. Following Jesus means welcoming everyone in Christ. 
You remember from this morning that Jesus had just told his followers that following him means abandoning self-glory. That's what we looked at this morning. And living to serve others for the glory of God. And I think the verse that really summarizes that is Mark chapter 9, verse 35. Where he sat down there and he said, after he heard them squabbling, he, said, he sat down and called the twelve, we're told in verse 35, and he said to them, if anyone would be first... He must be last of all and a servant of all. That was his message, if you like, this morning. Now, John is listening to what Jesus is saying about being a servant. And he's probably the youngest of all the disciples. Because we know that John lived beyond AD 98. And so he was the last disciple alive, so to speak. And uh, so he's, at this moment, he's probably the youngest in the group. And I'm guessing, as, I, as, as John is listening, he's, uh, he's, uh, he's probably doesn't feel as humiliated by the correction that Jesus has just given the other disciples. And so, almost as if John has not listened to Jesus, uh, we can imagine him raising his hand, right? Jesus has been talking about being a servant. He raises his hand. Uh, he says, oh, Jesus, I have something to share. <laughs> you won't believe what happened to us. We've been really good today. Because he's hoping that Jesus will be impressed, I guess, with what he's about to say. Let's read verse 38 again. And John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. And we tried to stop him because he was not following us. The we here is not clear, isn't it? That's the first question we are saying. Who's the we here? He says, we saw someone. Who's the we? And people think perhaps he's speaking for the disciples. I think it's more likely that actually John is thinking, he only thinks of him and his brother. <laughs> That's John's mentality at this point. So I think the we here is actually himself and his brother James. Uh, what has happened is that the sons of thunder have been uh, thundering around, walking around, right? And they saw someone successfully casting out demons, right? And they decided to stop the man. They have decided to stop the man because, look, you're abusing our brand. It's the sort of thing that happens today. You know, that casting out demon stuff has a Jesus logo on it. What are you doing? Using the name of Jesus, right? And they have stopped the guy, right? But notice the reason they give. The reason they give is that because he was not following us. Again, I find that very strange way of talking about this issue by John because the other question we're asking is what does he mean by us? I don't expect John to say because he was not following us. I expect John to say because he was not following you, right? It's Jesus. But he's almost like appointed himself now like uh, Jesus' deputy. He's like, not following us. Uh, and suddenly he's not following me and my brother. So we just stopped him. I'm running my own thing here and uh, you're not following us. If you want to be with Jesus, you've got to follow us, and you're not following us. And therefore, because of that, we stopped him. He didn't look like us. And that's the point, isn't it? John has stopped this man because he's not part of their accepted club. Now, whether that man loves Jesus doesn't matter to John. In fact, Jesus' opinion doesn't matter because actually he hasn't asked Jesus a follow-up question. Is it all right what we did? No. John has made up his mind that regardless of what that man thinks about Jesus, his love for Jesus is different from them. We might say John is a separatist at this time. 
He does not like welcoming followers of Jesus who are different from him. And Jesus is hearing this and he's saying, no, stop, right? Jesus doesn't like John's attitude and reacts swiftly against it. Look at verse 39. In fact, the whole thing is a reaction against John. Verse 39 to 40. But Jesus said, do not stop him. That is in the present tense. In other words, the man has continued. He said, don't even go bother him now. For no one who does a mighty work in my name does, will be able soon afterwards to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. And the important point here, there's a lot of time we can spend on this, uh, on this verse. Sometimes I think we should be moving slower in Mark, but I'm sure you don't agree. And uh, there, uh, there, there is um, a lot we can say here. But the important point here is that casting out demons, you remember, is something that requires tremendous prayer. You have to walk in the power of Jesus. That's what we learned as we were looking when Jesus came down from the mountain. The disciples, some of the disciples can't even cast out demons. Nine of them failed, right? Just after going around casting out demons. And here they see a man casting out demons in the name of Jesus. When he says in the name of Jesus, it doesn't just mean he's saying, I command you to come out in the name of Jesus. He's casting out demons in the power. The name in the scriptures means the reputation, the power. He's doing this very much in concert with who Jesus is. And the important point to realize here is that no one can successfully cast out the name the demons in the name of Jesus without Jesus himself allowing it to happen. Right? Many people claim to have cast out demons, and I doubt it, in the name of Jesus. I doubt it because their lives, of course, don't show any serious prayer and radical dependence. They would do such things, of course, usually as just pretense or the devil deceiving them. True casting out demons, as the man is doing it here, can only happen if God himself allows it. And of course, God could allow it without aside the man himself being truly converted. We know that uh, Matthew 7 says, there will be those on that day who claim they cast out demons in Jesus' name. And Jesus will say, depart from me. But Jesus is making clear that at this point in history, what is happening here, this man actually belongs to him. And Jesus is saying, look, you should embrace this, bro- this man as a brother in Christ. Yes, he's not from, the neck of, he's not from your neck of the woods. Uh, yes, he seems to have a strange accent. Yes, you don't seem to, you know, you, he's not somebody you would have immediately enjoyed their food. But he's a brother in Christ. John, stop stopping this person. And, this, and as we think about this truth, we realize that Jesus is actually teaching all of us here an important principle. He's teaching us that we are to welcome everyone who is truly in Christ. Whether they are from our tradition or from another tradition, if they're truly converted, we may disagree on some areas, of course, if they are not too critical areas, um, you know, evangelism style and other sorts of things. But if they are truly converted, we are to welcome them. We are to love them and care for them. Jesus is not a building separate camps. His desire is that we would love those who are truly converted. We should not be thinking they are not in our camp. They do not look like us. Therefore, we can't embrace them. We are to welcome everyone. That's what it means. Who is in Christ? But the sad truth is, of course, is that many of us have felt like this man. You know, 
just go home and meditate this scripture. I mean, I, I'm like, it must have been so discouraging for this guy to have John come and stop your work. And we know this in our fellowship. You know, you're trying to do something right and just live for the Lord. And somebody in the church comes and stops you from what you're doing. You know, you, we see that happening. You just want to serve and, and they'll throw 50 rules at you and all the rest of it. This is what's happening with this guy, right? But I just think that he must feel so crushed, right? And the sad truth is that if, if he feels crushed, but he's not alone. There are many of us who have felt like this man. We've been stopped by the Johns and Jameses of the Christendom. We have experienced not being truly welcomed in, our, in fellowships. Sometimes, you know, we know this because sometimes we feel guilty now to ask other Christians for help when we are struggling because we do not feel confident. Why? Because we remember sometimes opening up to someone, burdening ourselves to someone, asking for help because we believe they were true followers of Jesus and we never got the help we asked for. And so we know, we've experienced, we are this man, isn't it? And we can say, well, you know, yeah, we've experienced that. And we feel that way because we've probably, you see, tried, as I said, in the past and we've been rejected. And it has left us wondering, does anyone in our churches believe in Acts 2 anymore? Has that part of the canon just been teared out? Because we do not see such welcome that the early church exhibited. But beloved, imagine that you took Jesus seriously. Imagine you took his words as the son of God, the words he's saying here in verse 40. For the one who is not against us is for us. Imagine you took the son of glory seriously, his command that following him means you welcoming everyone in Christ. How would your life look like? I think it will mean that next time you're having a party for your daughter or your son, you ensure that everyone, everyone in the church is invited. You will because you realize that the church now is your true family. It's not about your little circle of friends or your little circle of family. You now belong to a larger family. That's what I think it will mean. It will mean when you come to the chapel, you prioritize talking to people on the fringe of church life. Because you want those who are on the fringe to be as welcomed as you have been welcomed. You are not going to spend your whole time Sunday morning just chatting with others that you know. No, you, you, you'll be now focused on those who are, if you like, the independent exorcists, as it were. Those who, are, who don't look like us, they've just come in first Sunday and we're bumping into them as we are thundering around, as it were. Right? It also means that you'll be intentional about finding time to invite, yes, in your home or have coffee with someone in the church from a different income and racial background. That's what it would mean. It would also mean that I think soon enough your friendships will change. You would have much more diverse range of friendship. Not all your friends in the life of the church, because actually the church desire your friends. 
It would mean in the church you have deep relationships with um, beyond your life. You, have a, you should have a lot of good. If you are black, you have a lot of good sisters in Christ who are white or who are Chinese or who are from East, well, Eastern Europe or Pakistan, Asia. It also means that some of your greatest friends, people you are very close to, will be people, if, you are, if, 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 if you're white, will be, the, will be black. You will, I think, not to say like jello rice, but you will sure be enough uh, uh, la- learn it in the name of Jesus. <laughs> right? Uh, and when you embrace and welcome others, when this is your disposition, if you're taking Jesus, I repeat, it's a big deal. If you're taking Jesus as God for you, it's not a big gift for me, but it might be a big gift for you. If you're taking, because he's God. If you're taking him as God and you obey his word, so that's what it comes down to, isn't it? Jesus is God, whatever he commands, I must seek to obey. If you're taking Jesus' divinity seriously, speaking as God, commanding you that following him means welcoming everyone in Christ, I think what will happen is that your diary is going to be very full. Because people want to be with people who embrace them, who hears them. Now, my dear sister Winnie, she's not here today, but if she was, she would have, maybe she's going to listen to this and wondering why I'm mentioning her name. But she would obviously remind me after the service that not everyone, you know, is an extrovert. And not everyone, some of us are introverted and you find it difficult. So the, what I'm saying here is that this is going to manifest itself very different for us. Remember the sermon in the morning. We don't live to be like others for self-glory. So the way you live this out looks differently. But what I'm pretty sure of is that in your own introverted way, God will give you the capacity to do that which he knows you are able to do and to welcome others. So if you're trusting in Jesus this evening, come before God, I think, and ask him to take away that attitude of John. We all have it. And for him to give us the attitude of Christ, the attitude that welcomes those in Christ, truly in Christ, who are different. You need to do that because, you see, if you have no desire, if you just hear me speak this evening, and you say, okay, Pastor, <laughs> yeah, hopefully we'll finish Mark soon. Uh, but if pa- Pastor is going to keep going on and on about this issue, right? Of course, you know, I'm obsessed about embracing, but that's a biblical obsession, right? I'd like to call it a biblical obsession. But if you, if you just say, look, he's spoken fine, it's just his idea, and it's not Jesus' idea, right? Or you say, serious, but I'm not really going to act on it. It's just who I am. This is how I've always been. I'm coming to that later, right? If, if, that, is, <laughs> if that is your attitude, right, then... You need to take that seriously because I, then there are huge questions here about are we really converted? Do we really know this Jesus? And are we really seeking to live for him? Because you see, true followers welcome Jesus, welcome others because Christ has welcomed them. That's the reason. And that is our second point here in this passage, isn't it? Following Jesus means welcoming others. Why should we do it? Well, we welcome everyone in Christ because Christ welcomes you. He welcomes us. That's our second point. Now, put yourself in the shoes of the disciples for a minute. You messed up at the bottom of Mount Hermon. You failed to cast out demons. You made Jesus, the rabbi, your 
Savior look very weak in front of the scribes. Like he hasn't been teaching you anything. Right? And you got sidetracked and started having arguments with the scribes. Right? Then as you're walking down from an Ammon with Jesus, he's telling you about, you know, he's going to die, and you're still confused about that. You're not interested in listening to that. In fact, you start arguing. You've been arguing on the way, all the way to Capernaum, right? You're arguing so bad about who's going to be the greatest that Jesus has said it. Perhaps he was walking in front of you. He's said it, right? And he's, had, he's, he's told you off. He's, had, he's t- given you a telling off, we might say. Uh, he's brought you in in Peter's house, and he's explained to you, guys, this is not how you're supposed to be. And as you heard Jesus speak, you were filled with so much shame, right? And now, to make matters worse, little Johnny, right, has spoken up, right? And he's made all of you guys look bad again. Because Jesus now has found out that not only are you scheming to be number two, right? But you're also stopping other followers doing the work Jesus has come to do which is to defeat the principalities and powers. You are not on the same page. And it's just dawned on you. you are giving, you're working against him all along. How are you feeling right now as you just process that in? I'm guessing you must be wondering if you're one of the disciples, when is Jesus finally going to just give up on me? I'm, I'm a mess. I'm such a letdown. I let him down all the time. I still don't get this guy. It's only a matter of when, not if, Jesus gives up. And then as you're thinking of all the mess you've made in your life and in following Jesus, you hear Jesus say, verse 41. Listen to what he says in verse 41. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink, because you belong to Christ, will by no means lose his reward. You've heard those words. How are you feeling? I think your face is beaming because now you don't care everything that's going on. The key phrase you want to focus on is that phrase, because you belong to Christ. Jesus has just told you that you still belong to him, right? More than that, he's saying he values you so much, despite your mess, that if somebody gave you a couple of water, they'll be blessed just on account of you. Jesus is saying, look, there is nothing you ever do to push me away. I am still loving you to bits, even though you cause me so much pain. That's a reggae song quote. But I think it fits here. You can ask me later, brother, all of my reggae sort of resume, as it were. But the point is clear, isn't it? Jesus is making clear that he's so committed to them. He loves them. They mess up. Because Jesus has come for the Zacchaeuses, he's come for the Matthew Levi, he's come for the Peters. And he's still loving you, he's still pursuing you. And that's what Jesus has done. If you are truly in Christ, all of us can look, perhaps right now we're looking at our lives, things we've been doing recently, and we're saying, oh Lord, our life is a mess. But he's still loving you. He's still reaching out to you. He's still in in Peter's house in Capernaum, still saying, look, if you belong to me, or rather even saying, because you belong to me. He's so sure you are his, isn't it? And that is the key point here Jesus is making. He's saying, John, listen, because I have welcomed you to the point that I'll bless the one who gives you a cup of water, you, John, must also welcome others as I have welcomed you. Romans 15, verse 7. I love it. 
Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Romans 15, verse 7. We must welcome others because Christ has welcomed us. You see, when you know Christ has welcomed you at such a great cost, you also want to embrace others regardless of how much it costs you. You see, everything is about the cross. Everything is about the cross. Because, you see, when you know Christ died for you physically on the cross, not through prayer, you also decide to be practical in how you reach out to others. Jesus didn't pray only. He prayed for you on the cross. But that's not the atonement work. He died for you physically. And John reminds us in 1 John 3, doesn't it? That we must love others the way Christ has loved us. And that means loving with our eyes, loving them practically. You see, when you know Christ persevered for you through the beatings, through the nails, enduring all the shame just to welcome you to himself, well, you will not give up welcoming other followers of Jesus even when they disappoint you because you know that Christ has never given up on you. Do you understand that? It all goes back. That's why we must just focus on the cross because it all goes back to the cross. The cross is our motivation for welcoming others. Some of you are saying, look, but I'm a hard person, right? Not odd. I'm, a, I'm an odd person. OLD, right? I'm an odd person. It is difficult for me to embrace a young Christian, to love them and care for them, right? But beloved, Jesus, the ancient, listen to me, Jesus, the ancient of days, embraces you. Has he not? I mean, are you as old as the ancient of days? Age was not a barrier to Jesus because infinity, he reached out to finitude. And if he embraces you like that, then you should be empowered to embrace the young, the very young, even. Some of you will say, look, I struggle to relate to people of a different culture. But beloved, what culture does Jesus come from? I ask myself this question, what is Jesus' culture? Jesus' culture is a Trinitarian culture. In the Trinity, it is all love, it is all goodness, right? And your culture, no matter how good it is, it is sinful and corrupted by sin. And yet Jesus reached out from a Trinitarian pure culture to yours. He crossed the barrier of culture for you. Do you see, beloved? There is no excuse that you have that the cross doesn't deal with. If you have been welcomed by Jesus, if you truly know him, you must now welcome others because Jesus has welcomed you. And there I say, beloved, as husbands and wives, we must welcome our spouses as Christ has welcomed you. That's a sermon in two weeks' time on divorce, right? We move on, right? That is the point. But if you keep refusing to open your heart to other followers of Jesus, then again, you probably don't either understand the cross at all, which raises questions about what are, how do you know yourself if you don't even have any clue about what's going on at the cross? That's the question it raises. But if you, do, if you are saved, then it means that really 
Well, if you, if you, if you, if you, are, you it might be that you don't really, you are not really saved. And, and if, you are not, if you are not welcoming others, beloved, it might, it's not a small thing. Jesus here says it will mean that perhaps you are fuel for destruction. And that brings us to the final and very serious point uh, here. Refusing to welcome everyone in Christ brings judgment on ourselves. So the first point is that following Jesus means welcoming everyone in Christ. What is our motivation? Point number two. Welcome everyone in Christ because Christ welcomes us. Okay, so we get that. Is there anything else? Yes, there is. If you refuse to welcome everyone in Christ, it will bring judgment on your soul. You see, according to the, that's point number three, according to the Lord Jesus, those who refuse to welcome everyone, especially the weakest, deserve to suffer God's wrath. Look at verse 42. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it will be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. There's a lot to discuss here, isn't there? We don't have time to do that. But if, I just want to point out a few things here. The first thing is the word for sin here is not going to be obvious, so that's the most important thing to get around. The word for sin here is scandalous or scandal. It's where the word scandal, I guess, will come from. Uh, it means to stumble, to offend, right? We might say it is causing the person to turn away from trusting in Jesus. That's how the word means sin. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to scandalize, to stumble, to fall in their walk with me. Right? The other thing is then we have to ask is what does Jesus mean by the little ones who believe in me? But before we come to that, just note there that the issue here for Jesus is that there is a category of people who refuse to welcome others, and by refusing to embrace and welcome others, they cause those individuals to fall in their faith, to backslide, stumble seriously. Okay? That brings us to who these people who are likely to stumble or may stumble are. Jesus calls them the little ones. He calls these people the little ones who believe in me. So that's quite important. These are people that do believe in Jesus. They are converts. They believe in him. But they are also little ones, right? What does Jesus mean by these little ones? I think just quickly there are three possibilities. One is that he's simply referring to the child. Remember, he's holding a child in his arm at this point. So he might be simply referring to children. If you cause children, these children to stumble, who already believe in me or they're trusting in me, then... You deserve wrath and judgment. The second possibility is that the child, again, is just a visual aid. Remember, he used the child initially as a video, visual aid, when we looked at this morning, as a visual aid for the weak, uh, for the weakest in society. Uh, and Jesus may be saying, look at that verse 36, Jesus is saying, perhaps he has in mind young believers who are weak in their faith. Those might be the little ones. And of course, the third possibility is that it means all believers. We are all his little children, as it were. The disciples, after all, at this point, all have a little faith, right? Based on their record. 
And I think that's a better way to think about it. I think it is better to simply say it means everyone in Christ, because it covers everyone we've talked about, right? Because all of us in Christ really are his precious little ones, regardless of age, regardless of income or race, right? And Jesus is saying anyone who causes his precious followers, because he has in mind, remember, the exorcist, right? Who has been stopped. He's saying anyone who causes his precious followers, he's looking perhaps at John as he speaks, everyone who causes my little precious, my little ones, my precious followers to backslide and or fall into sin because you are not welcoming them, you deserve judgment. What our Lord is saying is that we can damage our souls. We can suffer his wrath by simply refusing to embrace other followers of Jesus. And of course that raises a question about how a true believer can fall under such wrath. The answer is, of course, such individuals, in other words, by us refusing to embrace other believers who are truly converted, truly refusing to embrace them, and by refusing to embrace them, shipwrecking their faith, we are proving that we are not true converts in the first place. We are headed on the road to hell. The criteria, though, here is the fact that in refusing to love a sister, love a brother, if we are somehow through doing that, injuring their work with Jesus, then perhaps there is proof that we are not truly converted and are headed for the flames of hell. He's preparing our minds for the sermon Sunday morning. He's reminding us of the high price he puts on his children and the low price that anyone who rejects Christ has. They are consigned to the flames of fire. You see, many followers, beloved, have stumbled in their walk with Jesus because other Christians have created a very toxic environment in church. Some of us, I can speak by experience, have been in situations where our faith has suffered because we did not feel welcomed by fellow believers. They nearly shipwrecked our faith, backbiting one another, looking down at each other. And the Lord is saying he holds such people accountable. Some of us have felt sidelined by people who have looked down on us because we don't come from their income bracket. They have denied us the scriptures simply because of our income bracket or perhaps our race. And as a result, our work with Jesus has been hurt by that. We, we read in history of churches promoting and celebrating not only sin that divides. There have been cases in history where people of a different race have been kept apart. All of that falls under the indictment of the scripture. It is saying, it is causing those people, if those people by being pushed away based on race or income, ended up stumbling, Jesus holds to account those who did that to them. And we read of churches where the leader has taken the church in a completely different direction. They have tolerated sin and converted believers live there. Jesus again is saying he holds such individual seriously. Stealing 
brotherly love and affection. In this way, biblical brotherly love and affection not only damages the work of others, it is a grievous sin that proves we do not know Jesus. And Jesus says if we do that to others in Christ, it is better for a great millstone to be hung around our necks and be thrown into the sea. What is a millstone? A millstone is a huge secular stone used to grind grain into meal. Usually it is four feet across, one foot thick. Donkeys are usually attached to the millstone and they would walk in a circle and slowly grind the grain, right? Now imagine attaching such a huge stone to a person's neck and then throwing that person, as Herod seems to have drowned a few at this time, into the sea, according to Josephus, he would sink to the bottom and suffer a horrible death by drowning. There's no possibility of escape. It is a shocking warning that Jesus gives. And it's a warning for pastors, especially, I think. And let us not forget who he's talking to. He's talking to the apostles. It is a warning for the church, not for the world. It is shocking. But it is not shocking when we remember how much Jesus loves this, those whom the Father has given him. He loves them enough to do what? To die for them. So it is not a surprise that Jesus loves us enough, if you like, to pick up a spiritual machine gun and shoot away intruders that are trying to enter his spiritual home to take away his spiritual children. If you are refusing, beloved, to welcome other believers, if you are not proactive in embracing others, I would encourage you to take this scripture very, very seriously. I don't mean to scare you into doing things. I'm simply, well, I suppose I would if I thought that was the right thing to do. But what I would say is that we must take these words of Jesus very solemnly indeed. Because I wouldn't want to be the reason somebody walks away from trusting Christ. Either because as a pastor I didn't care in the situation they were in. Either because I turned a blind eye to sin. Either because I saw somebody, I, I felt that I needed to keep unity in the church by not confronting sin, or anything else like that. Either because I didn't follow up on a brother who was struggling, I just thought, well, they were not interested. I would not want to be, because I take the words of Jesus here very seriously. And I think it's God's grace that we are hearing these words today, because as a church, we would want to ensure that we took these things very seriously. Because if we are not, then we are not counted among his little ones. We are rather wolves rather than sheep. So as I come to an end, I'll just encourage you, because that's why Jesus ends, so I can't end on anything else other than where he ends. Uh, you may think it's not ideal. But uh, as I come to an end, I'll just say we need to examine ourselves, isn't it? Am I refusing to welcome and embrace other followers of Jesus? And uh, Am I at risk of damaging their faith? And most importantly, I think we must recognize that whatever our record in the past, let us come before God now with repentant hearts to ask him to help, love, and embrace others in Christ. And let us ask God to fill us with thankfulness for other followers of Jesus. 
For God to help us welcome them as Christ has welcomed them. It would be no surprise that if I was speaking to husbands, perhaps, uh, about this scripture, my applications would be completely different. I'll remind husbands of the importance of fully embracing our wives, of fully caring for our wives, of fully shepherding our wives, of fully ensuring that our behavior in the home is not pushing away our wives and making them backslide. I would point out the seriousness of what it means, what Jesus wants here. The fact that if you are not loving your wife, who is a true believer, you are in danger of great judgment and proving that you do not, you are not converted in the first place. If I was talking to husbands, I'll just point out that as we read this, there are so many applications you can take for yourself and think about them carefully. The same can be said for parents and their little children. I'm sure we can also think much about what society has to offer. But we serve a great Savior, and remember that verse tells us that we do belong to Christ, we do know him. So let us come to the Father of mercies and ask him to help us in our time of need. Amen.